Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. The Word of our Lord. We are uh, in a several-week series unpacking that sermon Jesus preached. And uh, the reason we wanted to read it fully, both the last couple weeks and in the weeks to come, is for us not to lose the forest for the trees. Um, That this is a full sermon Jesus preached to his people that they might embody his vision uh, for his community. Uh, So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to jump into verses 20 through 26 uh, this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can turn it to Luke 6. We'll be in verses 20 to 26. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to be blessed. We want to be happy. And so Jesus has instructed us to that end. And what he said is not what we would expect him to say. And so we need ears to hear and a heart that would seek to understand what it is he's inviting us into. And so I pray, do that. Uh, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, a few weeks ago, two of the most significant fan groups converged on one another. It captured the intention of our entire nation. Two worlds that never interact with one another collided. I'm speaking, of course, of when Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift started dating. And the NFL and the Swifties we're now all watching the Kansas City Chiefs together. Uh, wives began recording their husbands saying, isn't it awesome that Taylor has put Travis Kelsey on the map? While husbands perplexed responded, no, he's won multiple Super Bowl. He's an all-pro tight end. Uh, and this held our nation in its grasp, which raises the question, why? Why did we devote so much attention to this. And there's many ways we could dive deep into the psychology of this. But my answer uh, that I'm going to give is, is the answer that sets up my sermon really well for this morning, which is we, we believe blessed are the rich. Blessed are the famous. Blessed are the in love. That's the good life. And so we obsessed over what we find to be the pinnacle of human existence together. Uh, But is that the the good life? Let's take that slide off or it's going to distract people. (laughs) I should have. What is the good life? And as I mentioned a second ago, for the next several weeks, we're in a sermon Jesus preached, Luke 6, 20 to verse 49, what's often been called the Sermon on the Plain. And in this sermon, Jesus is addressing the most foundational questions we ask as human beings. What is the good life? Who are the well-off among us? What is a good person? And how do you become a good person? And so this morning we start with that first question. What is the good life? Who is well-off? Who is the lucky among us? Who has the good life? And here is how Jesus answers that question to these people listening to him preach. The good life 
is not what you think, is not who you think, but it is available to you today. The good life is not what you think, it's not who you think, but it is available to you right now. That sounds like a sermon I would listen to. I hope you'll listen to it because that's the sermon you're getting. Uh, So we'll start there. The good life, it's not what you think. Now, in one of his uh, books, Eugene Peterson, the author and pastor, he tells a most likely apocryphal story of a man's funeral in Texas. And the man died, but rather than having a normal funeral, they uh, had a Texas funeral for him, which is they they dressed him up in a fine suit, big Texas cowboy hat and buckle. Uh, And rather than be buried in a coffin, he was buried in his Cadillac. And the end of the ceremony resulted in someone pushing the Cadillac into the grave. And one onlooker noted, that's really living. But is that really living? Is the good life wrapped up in our possessions, in the fulfillment of our desires? And what Jesus says in this passage utter utterly rejects every piece of advice you and I get on the good life. Blessed are the poor, but woe to you who are rich. Let me just stop for a minute to to remind us, because I'm using the phrase the good life, and maybe you have a question about that. What, What do you mean the good life? My argument last week is this sermon is Jesus' strategy on how you can have a happy life. And last week I pointed out that that's why Jesus uses the word blessed here. That he's tapping into a common way of speaking in Greek and Hebrew culture. That the moment Jesus said blessed, everyone would understand Jesus was speaking on the good life, the happy life. And it's why I quoted the theologian Scott McKnight who says, The entire history... Of the philosophy of the good life and the late modern theory of happiness is at work when one says, blessed are. Jesus is saying, if you want to be happy, listen to what I'm about to say to you. Blessed are. And then what he says is just crazy. Blessed are the poor. But woe to you who are rich. Blessed are you who are hungry, but woe to you who are full. Blessed are you who weep now, but woe to you who laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you because of your association with Jesus. But woe to you when people speak well of you. The good life is to be poor, hungry, grief-stricken, and hated. I mean, how do we even begin to make sense of what Jesus is saying? Because he deconstructs everything we think about the good life, the happy life. So what what is he saying? And the first is that the good life is not what you think that it is. We can talk about that in a lot of ways. I'll I'll limit myself to two. The first is that to be rich is not the good life. And on the surface, we all know this is true. In a few months, we're going to enter into Christmas and most likely watch our favorite Christmas movies. And every Christmas movie, almost, is built on the premise 
that the good life is not the rich life. That's the premise of a Christmas carol. Scrooge is too in love with his money to care about the poor. But after a long night with three ghosts of Christmas, Scrooge learns my riches have not brought me a good life. It's the premise of Elf. The good life is not being a successful businessman. It's your family. Being a good father to your son. Although, to be clear, the the movie does technically undermine its own theme at the end because Elf writes a famous book and everyone gets rich off of it. But I digress. We watch these movies and we know the rich life isn't the good life. I know a life of accumulation will not bring me rich and deep satisfaction. We know that with our minds. Yet if you press down into our lives, our lives don't reflect what we know. Basic statistics around wealth or consumer debt, how much money we give away. I've I've quoted this statistic ad nauseum, but I'll continue to. The average Christian in America gives between 2.5 and 3% of their income away. In the wealthiest country in history, we're well below the biblical vision of a tithe. We know that riches don't lead to a good life, but we practice a very different reality. Why? We know Jesus is right, but we struggle to live it. So why do we struggle to live it? And and the first thing we need to know, Jesus is not commanding us to be poor. The point of what Jesus is saying here is not poverty is good in and of itself. Rather, the key to understanding what Jesus means is what he says after he says, Woe to the rich. Verse 24, Woe to the rich, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. What's a consolation? Well, the, the word there, it's, uh, the Greek word is periklesis. And the only reason I'm using the Greek word is some of you will recognize that word, of a word as a word for the Holy Spirit, parakletos. It's very similar. And it, it means encouragement. It means lifting of the spirits. It means a comfort. And so Jesus is inviting us to ask, what lifts our spirits? Where do we seek our comfort? That what can your money buy for you? I think the reason why generosity might be a struggle for some of us is not because we don't want to be generous, but because we have too much of our comfort wrapped up in material things, what we can buy, what we can experience. And we do not just use our money to live and to bless and to follow God, but to lift our spirits, to be our comfort and our consolation. This word, uh, paraklesis, consolation, only shows up twice in all of Luke's gospel. The other time it shows up is in Luke 2.25, where we read about a man named Simeon, a devout and righteous man who we are told waited for the consolation of Israel. His life was oriented around a promise that God was going to lift the spirits of Israel, comfort Israel, by bringing his Messiah into the world. And so Simeon's entire life was oriented around that promise. Which is why when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple, they find Simeon there waiting for his comfort. Jesus was his comfort. Jesus was what lifted his spirits. Jesus was his consolation. And so 
In his sermon here, Jesus is inviting us to, to, to meditate on the question, what lifts your spirits? And how much of that is what you can buy? Or your wealth? Is Jesus what lifts your spirits? Or is it your money? The real trouble being, we all know the right answer to that question, at least if you're a follower in the way of Jesus. We've watched Elf. We know. Or at least most of us have. And if you haven't, you should consider it. The real question is, what does my checkbook say about what lifts my spirits? What does my calendar say about what lifts my spirits? When I get bored, where does my mind go in the quiet of the day? Does it go to the presence of Jesus in prayer to lift my spirit and my comforts? Or do I find myself... Scrolling Amazon, meditating on my next purchase. Jesus is saying if your consolation comes from your wealth, you don't have the good life. You've missed it. And if that case wasn't challenging enough, Jesus goes in further. The next thing, uh, I think he gets out with the next few beatitudes are those who get what they want do not have the good life. Woe to you who are full. Woe to you who laugh. Again, the point is not Jesus saying, listen, I hope you're hungry and miserable and never laugh until you die. Then you go to heaven. It's not what he's saying. Rather, it's, it's inviting you again to ask the question, what, what do I want? What do I believe will fill me? What will fill me with such deep joy that I will laugh from my gut? What is that to you? And how many of us would answer uh, this, the question, this question the way John Calvin says most human beings answer this question. That the happy life is the person who is free from annoyance, attains all his wishes, and leads a joyful and easy life. I just ask, is that the life Jesus lived? And if the answer is no, then, then either Jesus didn't know how to live a good life or his vision of a good life is very different than ours. Jesus is saying that, that's not the good life. To have everything you want come to pass. To be freed from annoyances. To attain all of your wishes. To have a belly full and laugh all the time. There's more to life than those things. The good life is not what you think it is. So that's, that's point one. Well point two then he goes into the fact that the good life is not who you think. I mean who has the good life Jesus says. It's not Taylor Swift or Travis Kelsey. It is the poor. It is the hungry. It is the grief-stricken. It's those who have suffered enormous hatred because they associated themselves with Jesus. Now Christians have worked really hard to not understand what Jesus is saying here. And they've turned these four things into like the, the ladder of spiritual attainment. So when Jesus says, blessed are the poor, uh, what they mean is those who are spiritually poor. And their spiritual poverty drives them to God. The hungry are those who hunger for a better life. So they ask God to fill them with his life. And the grief-stricken is about repentance. I'm such a sinner, I need to repent, and I weep over my sin. And then when you do all those three things, you become a servant of Christ who's persecuted for his name. And so the, the, the Beatitudes are preached as attitudes you are to be, which makes sense, except for Beatitudes doesn't mean the attitudes you are to be. 
Uh, Beatitudes comes from the, the Latin word beatus, which just means blessed. Jesus is conferring blessing on people who are poor, hungry, grief-stricken, and hated. And so let me, let me unpack how I think you should understand this or how we should understand this in two ways. One is, is, is think about who Jesus is speaking to in this passage. He's speaking to people who are materially poor, who are uh, lacking economic resources, who are grief-stricken themselves. Right before Jesus starts saying these words, remember, th- this, is what, this is who has surrounded Jesus. Verse 17 of Luke 6. Jesus came down with him, with his disciples, and stood on a level place, hence the Sermon on the Plain. So he's on a level place, with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. So who's around Jesus? A great multitude who are physically sick and need healing. Who are troubled in spirit, who are demon-possessed. I mean, who does that sound like? The poor, the hungry, the grief-stricken. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor, the hungry, the grief-stricken. This is not like a ladder of spiritual attainment. This is the people Jesus is speaking to. And he's saying to them, The world says, woe to you for your condition. But I'm saying to you as the Son of God, you're blessed. I'm conferring my blessing from the Father onto you. That's what's happening in this passage. The second thing, and I just named it, is Jesus is conferring his blessing on the, the people. He's saying, you don't know it yet, but you're the lucky ones. You have the good life. Which should shock us. How can he say that? Why would he say that? That makes no sense to our human experience to look at the poor and say, you've got it made. You're the lucky ones. So what is he saying about about the good life? Well, a lot, but again, let me narrow it into a few thoughts. The first is that the good life is utter dependence on God. When you're poor and you lack material resources... When your life is broken because you are in grief, those are the, mo- the moments you finally see what's true. I do not have the resources to attain the good life for myself. And the only way I will ever have the good life is if it breaks in from grace, from the Father on high. And the trouble is when you're rich, and most of us in this room are rich. Not comparing other people in our culture, but if you look at the broad scope of human history, most of us in this room are unfathomably wealthy. We have so many resources available to us, and that very easily leads into a life of non-dependence on God. To illustrate from my own life, a few weeks ago I spent uh, several days in prayer, and the primary part of that time was asking God, okay, God, where are you leading liberty? I want to be faithful to your voice. Where are you shepherding us in the, the months and years to come? And about our church, I felt him speaking really clearly, uh, leaning into what we talked about a year ago, becoming a house of prayer. That we need to be a praying church. Uh, and one of the ways he's confirmed that since that prayer trip was at a conference that, that was a, a, a breakout session called A Praying Church. So I went. 
And there was a great book, so I bought the book and I started reading it. And the author of that book was leading a seminar of pastors and asked them to go and create a plan for how they were going to make their church become a praying church. Which I'm like, this is just an answer from prayer. I'm doing that right now. And so what, what did they come back with? Well, the author points out not a single pastor in their plans for how to create a praying church included praying as a part of their plan. To be clear, you're laughing at me right now, and that's okay. Praying to God, hey, how do you want us to become a praying church, didn't factor into the plan. And I felt such deep conviction in that moment because I had been doing the same thing, reading, thinking, and God can speak through those ways. I don't, I don't doubt that. But the reality is I, I have been blessed with incredible resources through, through my ministry life, a a seminary education, an undergrad Bible college education, um, incredible books we have access to in our modern um, day, a generous church here at Liberty. And it's really easy just to live out of those resources and not pray or not seek God. But at least for me, I'm, I'm tired of living out of my own resources. And these people have come to Jesus because they don't have resources to live out of. And they've heard a man has shown up on earth with incredible power flowing from him. And they're like, maybe he can help. And the people seeking Jesus in this moment, the, the great multitudes who have surrounded him, they're not the rich. They're not the well-connected, the well-resourced. They're not the religious or political leaders of the day. They are the sick, the troubled, and the poor. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor. Yours is the kingdom of God. Because they're the only ones around Jesus. So the good life is utter dependence on God. But second, the good life is available to anyone. Right? No religious in, uh, leader in Jesus' day would have looked out on this crowd and said, you are blessed. Uh, and so this is how uh, philosopher Dallas Willard describes this scene. He, he writes, the religious system of, of his, of Jesus' day, left the multitudes out. But Jesus welcomed them all into his kingdom. Anyone could come as well as any other. They still can. That is the gospel of the Beatitudes. And it's why I don't believe in turning this passage into a ladder of spiritual attainment. The, the message of this passage is not, you better be poor and you better be sorry and you better be grief stricken and you better be... It's not that. It's the kingdom is available to you. Whatever your condition this morning, it's available to you. The good life, the happy life, is not something God gives to you when you live a good enough life for him. It's not something you can achieve when you finally work hard to attain the dreams and the desires of your heart. The good life is available to you free of charge from Jesus Christ. To the sick, to the poor, the broken. There is not a single person to whom the good life, the happy life, is not available to. But that raises the question, how can that be true? And I've been hinting at this, but the third and final thing I'll say about the good life is that the good life is life in the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor. Why? For yours is the kingdom of God. The good life, the happy life, is life in the kingdom of God. And if you follow Jesus, you have the life of the kingdom of God. See, in this day, any discussion around the good life, the happy life, was 
only with the rich, the educated, the well-connected, the well-resourced. So just, just imagine this scene with me of Luke 6. We're out in a plane somewhere, rural uh, Israel. It's not important. Far from Rome, far from Jerusalem, far from all the important people. And here's Jesus, the Son of God, saying to all the forgotten people of the Roman Empire, I see you, and I bless you, and I invite you to join the kingdom of God and taste the good and rich, full life. Not, not even, hey, when you die, you'll get the, the kingdom of God. No, yours is the kingdom of God. You can enter into the kingdom of God right now, Jesus is saying. It's available to you today. And that's where I want to I wanna end. The, the good life is available today. To you right now. And the, the best news is, is I'm not inviting you into a change of circumstances uh, where Jesus can solve your circumstantial problems. I don't know what he's going to do with those circumstances. Which is why he says, blessed are the poor, because your circumstances are irrelevant. The good life is not good circumstances, it's life in the kingdom of God. And that actually makes us consider, do, do we really believe that? Do we really believe the good life is life in the kingdom of God, regardless of circumstances? Because if I do, then my desire is not for a rich, full, easy life of what I desire. What I seek first in my life then becomes the kingdom of God. So what do I really believe is the happy life, is the good life? And I think the best way to answer that question is to audit our prayers. My prayers tell me a lot about what I think the good life is. They're a diagnostic uh, tool. And, and one Christian who illustrated that is the early church father, Augustine, who was written by um, someone in his parish and, and asked him, how, how, how should I pray? Teach me to pray. And Augustine responded to her letter by saying this, pray for a happy life. But Augustine says this a little bit tongue-in-cheek because the question becomes, well, what do I think is a happy life? And really, most of us, that's what we're praying for anyway. And our prayers reveal what we think is a happy life. So if we don't pray, it's a sign we have a happy life independent from God. We don't need him. We're adequately supplied. Which is a part of Jesus' whole point of this passage. If we are living out of our wealth, out of our own desires, out of having what we want, doing what we want, then we have no need to pray. No need to address God because he's irrelevant to what a true, happy, good life is. Or as Augustine points out, sometimes we pray, but we pray for riches. We pray to be filled. We pray to have our circumstances changed. We pray uh, for what we desire. And Augustine would go on to say to her, if, if you're praying for your riches, if your primary prayer for, for riches, for a healthy life, for a good life, well, God is just a means to an end for you. And if he doesn't give you what you want, then you'll just go somewhere else to find what you really want. And so auditing our prayers, if they're all for good health, good life, ease of circumstances, then is God what we really want? Or is what we really want to be rich, to be full, to laugh, to have our desires met? And I want to be clear, I'm not saying praying for God to meet our physical needs, for healings, for those things are wrong. I don't believe that. I pray for those things regularly. However, 
Here is Jesus saying, the poor, the hungry, the grief-stricken, they are the blessed ones. There is the, theirs is the kingdom of God. And, and the heart of this message is the good life is that the Son welcomes us into open arms. He brings the kingdom to us. He brings it to people who were the forgotten people of the Roman Empire. And that's all we need. If we are living in the kingdom of God, we have no needs, ultimately. Um, but I do want to say, because I recognize, on the face of this, what Jesus says is kind of, kind of offensive. And to illustrate as, as best I can, think of my good friend Phil uh, over here, works at Pacific Garden Mission, and uh, it's a homeless uh, shelter for men in Chicago, if you don't know. And Phil, Phil recreates this scene of Luke 6 almost nightly. Every night he's there, certainly. The men the mission serves are drug addicts, refugees, migrants, criminals, some who have crossed our borders just looking for work. They're, they are the vulnerable among us. Uh, and if Phil was ever to let me get up and preach sometime, and I got up in front of the mission and said, listen, you guys don't know it. You have the good life. You're blessed. You're better off than Taylor Swift. I might get murdered. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. And do you know why? Are you poor? Well, Jesus says uh, his father's house has many rooms. And he left this earth to go and prepare a place for you. In his father's house. The creator of the universe, unlimited resources, wants to prepare a place in the father's house for all, all time for you. Unfathomable riches are available to you. So blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Are you hungry? Well, Jesus spent his last night on earth feeding his disciples the bread and the cup and promised them one day he would feast with them in the new heavens and new earth. And when we get to the description of the new heavens and new earth, it's all these trees we get to eat. And when we eat, they heal the nations. That's good food. Blessed are you who are hungry now. You will be filled. Are you grief-stricken? God promises that one day he himself will wipe the tears from our eyes. And Jesus enters into this world not to just say, uh, I'm making the good life available to you. He, he goes to the cross and enters every piece of grief you and I experience to deliver us from it. Jesus doesn't just say, I'm going to wipe away your suffering one day from your eyes. He enters into it with us. So blessed are you who weep now. For you will laugh. Or are you, you suffering, persecuted, hated because you're a disciple of Jesus. You've associated with him. And people find you backwards, weird. That's okay. They did the same thing to Jesus. He went into a grave. He rose three days later. Blessed are you. When people hate you because of, of Jesus, rejoice on that day and leave for joy because your reward is great in heaven. And so this morning, I'm, I'm saying to you, the good life will never come through riches, achievement, what you hope to do in your life. The good life comes through being a student of Jesus, following him, being his disciple. It doesn't mean you won't suffer. It doesn't mean you won't find yourself poor, weeping, hungry, in need. You will find yourself in those places. And when you find yourself in those places, remember the Sermon on the Mount. Where was Jesus? Right in the midst of the poor, 
the broken, the sick, the troubled, saying, you are blessed. And if you follow him all the days of your life, you've got it made. Let me pray. Uh, Father, we, I know I, think, I know what the good life is, and it is the very thing Jesus says, be careful. And so now we, we want to open up a space of, of singing, of communion in a few minutes, where we, we just gather um, around the presence of your son Jesus and say, um, if I have him, uh, I have all that I need. And we find Jesus on the plane, not... Uh, Listing a high degree of moral demands we must meet before he will take us on as his disciples, we, we see him conferring blessing onto us. We see him welcoming us. We see him healing us. And so may we come in our need, dependent, open, and be received by your son Jesus, I pray in his name. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.